Tron movie in the year of our Lord 2016? Why wouldn't there be? There was one in 2010. I guess it makes sense because Garrett Hedlund was still a tiny baby boy in Tron. I, I thought like 2004. So to be fair, we were off by the same amount. Just I know it wasn't 2004 because it came out when I was in college. See, that's what I felt too, but I was wrong. Anyways, so we're going to talk about... So we're going to talk about Tron. Oh my god, I'd love to talk about Tron. <laughs> no, we can't talk about Tron. I've literally only seen Tron Legacy once, and it was in 2010. Oh my god, you should see the original Tron on an edible. It's... Like, I have a lot of questions about how the world of Tron works, but anyway, I'd love to talk about Tron, but we're not. We're not going to um, do that. Are we going to introduce ourselves? Or oh, shit. Are we just this gonna- is Afternoonified. This is a mini. Thank God I will have cut most of <laughs> the Tron talk out. The full seven minutes we've recorded so far, and that's not even, like, we've been sitting here for about 40 minutes. <laughs> the recording was scheduled to begin at 5, 5. It's 5.38 now. <laughs> It's it's been a journey. Um, I I had an energy drink for the first time in months. This explains a lot. Yeah, I was dragging ass today, and I thought I needed to pick me up, but I should have just had a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, usually that works a little better. Well. So I don't. I have already forgotten what we're talking about. <laughs> As we've already established in seven minutes of preamble, uh, Emily doesn't know what we're talking about. Uh, and that is because I told her two days ago. I remember that you said Dover Demon and then said you weren't doing that. And that's about where I tapped out. <laughs> Midway through that text. Uh, we're talking about the independent order of odd fellows who are like the Mansons, but cooler. Which is an inside joke no one but the two of us will get. The inside joke is that I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going to cite my sources before I get uh, off topic again. <laughs> Uh, I got this from Atlas Obscura, Mental Floss, uh, the Independent Order of Oddfellows website, and Wikipedia, of course. That second to last one should be pretty reliable information. More or less. I don't know. People can lie, <laughs> I guess. They very astute. It, 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 it feels, you know, legit. But, uh, so <laughs> the Independent Order of Oddfellows is a fraternal organization that's kind of in the same vein as the Freemasons. Like, it's not a secret society, exactly. Like, you'll see it referenced as that, but, like, they're not really secret. They have a website. There's a number you can call, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, the the fact that they exist isn't secret, but what they do is a little more, like, you you don't know unless you're in. Yeah, and, like, there's genuinely some weird and spooky stuff in their history, uh, including literal skeletons in literal closets, and we'll get to that. But that's not oh, like their... like m That's not their focus. That's not what they're here to do. They're... They're not a skeleton storage uh, fraternity. <laughs> they are not, in fact, a skeleton storage fraternity. Uh, they were formed to provide aid to their members in a time when there wasn't, you know, anything like job protection or sick benefits or insurance or, you know, social welfare programs, <laughs> anything like that. Like, so if you got sick and you couldn't work, you were kind of just out of luck. Your employer wasn't going to pay you wages for work you weren't doing. I um, mean, you weren't guaranteed that, you know, you were going to have a job when you got better. Well, if there was anyone who needed an organization dedicated exclusively to helping them, it is white men. <laughs> I mean, usually, yeah. Workers' rights are very important. Just <laughs> in there. So that's kind of why they like got together. So if you were a member of an organization like the Odd Fellows or the Masons or like a guild kind of like that, 
you're guaranteed some level of support. And even like, even in the worst case scenario, if you never got better and you just straight up died, like they would pay for your burial and extend support to your widow and children. So yeah, kind of like a mutual aid sort of thing. Okay. To this degree, there were a lot of secret society. This is where like a lot of the secret society stuff actually comes into play. So for a while, fraternal societies like this were suppressed in England and membership was actually considered a criminal offense, essentially because they were the predecessors of modern day trade unions. Ah. So not only was the organization in a place where they could facilitate a strike if conditions weren't favorable, but they had the funds to make payments to the families of any striking workers. So this is where you see a lot of kind of like the rituals you get in a secret society. Like when your organization is effectively underground, you tend to adopt things like codes and passwords and cool secret handshakes. I was going to ask if they had a handshake. They definitely have a handshake. (laughs) So gradually, you know, as workers, you know, win more protections, there's more of a social safety net, you know, for them to rely on. The mission of the order kind of mutates a little bit. Instead of extending their benefits to members, they kind of go in for more like just generable charitable activities for the benefit of their community. Okay. For today, like the stuff the Odd Fellows do, they sponsor a professorship at John Hopkins, um, and they support like the Arthritis Foundation and other nonprofits like that. Um, and then there's also kind of like there's like a social aspect of the whole thing. So Mental Floss described it as scouting, but for grownups. It's just a cool little hub you can go and you go to meetings and you volunteer together and you have your secret handshake. It's good that they have a place to do that. Yeah. So the original order of Odd Fellows was founded in England in 1700s and then migrated to America in the early 19th century. And the first American chapter was founded in 1819 in the city of Baltimore. It was the first fraternity in the United States to include both men and women. Oh. Uh, and it has since 1851, which is pretty good. I take back what I said about white men. <laughs> yeah. And for a time, it was also the largest fraternal organization in the U.S. Uh, it had at least one lodge in every state. Oh, That's very impressive. Yeah, so they do still operate today. Um, It has over 600,000 members spread across 10,000 lodges in 26 countries. Their symbol is three interlocking rings representing friendship, love, and truth. That's so cute. (laughs) Uh, So there are two stories from where they kind of got their name. Odd Fellows is, in fact, an odd name for an organization like this. The official website states that the name was a reflection of the fact that You know, when this organization was founded, it was odd to find people organized for the purpose of giving aid to those in need. What was charity? (laughs) Um, There are others, though, who believe it has more to do with the organization's diverse membership. You kind of had various tradesmen of differing specialties who maybe didn't have enough people to form a trade group of their own. So they kind of banded together into one super group. Like the traveling Wilburys. That's the odd fellows. Okay, so now now we're going to talk about the skeletons because this is the actually interesting part. <laughs> like the, okay. the other stuff is like great, cool, but skeletons. So, <laughs> starting in the latter half of the 20th century, membership in the odd fellows begin to shrink, lodges begin to close, and a lot of them just kind of like close their doors and never really bother to clean out any of their stuff. Oh, nice. Uh, so then like in the 1990s and early 2000s, these as these lodges start to get sold and renovated, um, people started finding skeletons, like just so many skeletons. <laughs> Are you going, people, people skeletons? People skeletons. So in oh, 2001, no. an electrician in Warrington, Virginia, discovered a skeleton covered in a white shroud uh, like jammed in the space between two walls. Oh, no. Uh, in 2004, a group of cheerleaders in Houston, Texas, rented out an old building to use as a practice space, and inside they found old robes and books on rituals. <laughs> they also then found three coffins. 
two contained fake skeletons, but the third looked really suspiciously real. Like there was dirt on the bones, like to the degree that it looked like this was probably a skeleton that had been buried and then dug up again. I want to write this movie (laughs) so badly. Local authorities examined the remains and confirmed their suspicions that the skeleton was in fact the genuine article. Uh, then in 2011, a teenage girl was clearing out a cabinet in an old Oddfellows Lodge in Sio, Oregon. I think I pronounced that right. Who knows? How do you spell it? Like, type it into the chat. I can't type and read at the same time. (laughs) Uh, so she found a child-sized coffin filled with adult bones, including femurs, teeth, and a mandible. Uh, the girl told her mother, who called 911, and said... I have a skeleton in the closet, to which a dispatcher reportedly replied, We all do. Don't we all? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sayo is is in, like, I'm not going to say the armpit of uh, Western Oregon, but... I assume because I hadn't heard about it, it was probably in, like, bumfuck nowhere. It's between Salem and Albany, and Albany is arguably that means one of nothing the worst to me, but <laughs> bigger Albany is a bigger city, but it also sucks. <laughs> so as more skeletons were discovered, uh, the odd fellows were forced to disclose a ritual practice that had, at least up until then, uh, they had kept to themselves. So the Lodge of Reflection was an initiation ritual that involved new members donning what was called a hoodwink, which were like just kind of goggles with blinds that could be open and shut. This is terrifying to think about. Uh, And they were led into a candlelit room. Uh, Then the blinds and their goggles would be opened and the initiate would find themselves face to face with a spooky human skeleton. Oh my God. The skeleton itself was meant to be a symbolic memento mori, reminding the members of their own mortality and how death will in the end be the great equalizer of us all. So... (laughs) I so when I first heard of the Odd Fellows, it was like on a Travel Channel show about haunted places, and they like framed it as like the most terrifying thing you could imagine. Like, and then they took the initiates into a new room, and when they opened their eyes, there was a skeleton there. <laughs> Just like it's very silly when you imagine like all of the other members who know what's coming, like standing around giggling. I'm sure in kind of that atmosphere, like if they've got your like. Your eyes are covered. You can't see. You don't know what's happening. People are moving you around kind of against your will. Or not necessarily against your will, but like you don't have any agency really in the whole situation. And they sit you down and you're in a dark room and they open your goggles or whatever. And there's just a skeleton there like that reasonably, I guess, would be kind of spooky. But like just hearing it read out like that just makes it sound like the dumbest thing in the world. I have some follow-up questions. Okay. Um, One. Where did they source the skeletons from? This is actually my very next bullet point. It's a great question. Uh, Most likely acquired their skeletons through medical supply companies, which were commonplace in that time, uh, in like the 19th and early 20th centuries. Um, Okay, so they just had like um, heritage skeletons, like heirloom. That's what I meant. Heirloom skeletons. I I picture kind of like the skeletons you get or you'll see in like a doctor's office. Okay, so they bought one and then they passed it down because you can't get real ones anymore. Yes. Yeah, and you can't. And I also like um, this wasn't so early that like it was body snatching time. Like it was a little bit past that. So there were like more legitimate ways, I think, to get putting that maybe in very generous air quotes, but more legitimate ways to get skeletons. 
Like, you weren't necessarily digging them up. Like, H.H. Holmes would sell his victims to, uh, and they would make them and sell them legitimately. They just didn't ask a lot of questions about where they came from. Yes. There was at least one odd fellow who is now called George who donated his own remains. So that was also... That's very I'm sure that was maybe not a one-off thing. I'm sure there were a few more of that. few more of those. The skeletons themselves, when found, they're usually handed off to either, like, forensic anthropologists at local universities. In some cases, they're given a proper burial. Um, in one case, a skeleton belonging to the order in Pittsburgh was sold to a prop dealer and later appeared in 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Um, and the production crew was apparently completely oblivious to the fact that the bones were genuine. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, so later, those ended up in a window display at a costume shop, and the skeleton was finally buried in 1983. After a policeman, I think just walking by, kind of noticed that it maybe looked a little bit too realistic. But it's not illegal to own one, is it? Like, I, they have them in museums. They don't need to be in the ground. Like, this person purchased it legally. Like, there's nothing, you know? Yeah. I get what you're saying, but I I also don't think, like, you should be selling them to prop masters. Maybe not. That was maybe but, a poor decision. But yeah, like you said, it's not illegal. It was a legitimate sale. Um, the ethics of it are questionable, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I also have less hang-ups about, like, what happens to my body after I die than most people, I think. So, like, the- Yeah, it's just fucking bones. Yeah. Um, I will say it is less common nowadays for skeletons to turn up, um, probably because most lodges are making a point to rehome their skeletons before they go defunct. Uh, But there's no indication that they have ceased this ritual. Um, They may have modified it. There are some reports that some chapters have begun using urns instead. That's less intimidating. That that is the independent order of Oddfellows. My second follow-up question, which is more of just a theoretical, is... When they were getting ready to shut shut her down and, you know, sell the building or or whatever, and, like, they were like, ah, we're not going to clean it out. Did no one wake up in the middle of the night, like, a week after they moved out and was like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> I forgot the skeleton. Because <laughs> that's the one thing you probably want to remove, like, personal information and the skeleton. See, I would, too. I get the feeling that there was probably no one else really around to worry about it. Like, maybe, like, all your members have kind of left and are not connected to the lodge anymore, and there's maybe, like, one or two people, and you're old, and you die or something, and, like, your next of kin is like, oh, we gotta, we have this thing that we gotta take care of, and maybe they don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah, I I don't have answers for you, but that that would be my guess. It was just, like, not enough people around to care, and that's kind of why they just kind of shut the doors and let the, just left the building abandoned. It just feels like something that you either, like, leave a note about when you're dying or, you know, you read in the paper, like, oh, they shut the lodge down. I wonder if Stephen remembered to take the skeleton out of the closet. Not everyone has the same level of anxiety about the world that you and I do. (sighs) I guess. I guess there are people that don't, like, quadruple check their luggage before they leave and stuff. (laughs) The number of times where I've had to say to myself, if you don't remember it now, it wasn't important enough to take (laughs) This is why I don't pack until the day of, because I will just, like, spend the whatever time is between me finishing packing and me leaving for the airport will just be spent going, did I pack? And then I have to go back and check, even though I know I already packed 18 pairs of underwear for a three-day trip. I will go back and I will check, because if I don't have a physical memory of me placing the underwear in the luggage, I didn't do it. (laughs) 
Well, first, that's just sensible. You need 18 pairs in case you shit yourself every single day of the trip. <laughs> like six times a day, yeah. Yeah, six six times a day, every day of the trip. It happens. Second, I have a checklist so I can physically remember and see that I have checked it off. See, that's practical, and I've done this before, and yet, and yet. <laughs> and if I don't make a list like a week ahead of time, I get anxious because then it's like, what if I forget something when I'm in the moment of packing? Anyway, this is just gone into generalized anxiety and has nothing to do with secret society. I will say my trick is usually like, as I'm just kind of milling about the house in uh, the lead up to my any vacation, as I like think of things like, oh, I need to bring that with me. I will just like pick it up and put it next to my bag or something like literally in that moment, I will physically go and get it and place it near where I need it. Uh, that's a level of functionality that a lot of people <laughs> with ADHD do not possess. Um <laughs> Some days I've passed the same, like, piece of string on the ground where I'm like, I should pick that up. And then I just don't. (laughs) It would be way too easy to just bend down and pick it up. And then you got to figure out, like, you got to walk all the way over the garbage can or something. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Um, I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, I have some questions about uh, who is in charge of closing these things up. Men, clearly. Uh, Clearly. I've also never understood, like, leaving all of the shit in a place like, you know, ledgers and all of that, because it just seems like some things you want to take with you. But yeah, that's kind of what I get back to is like, I think that just like, no one cared. Like the people who were in charge of shutting down the lodge were not involved to a level that they cared about any of that stuff. Maybe it was like associates of the people who are actually members. I don't know. Yeah, I think the moral of the story is if you have a skeleton in your closet, just make a note of it. (laughs) Just leave a post-it note out. (laughs) Just carry it on your person at all times, so if you die, someone will know. Sage sage advice. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.